welcome to the Real Estate Raw Show, hosted by Joe Mendoza. Hi guys, Joe Mendoza here in sunny San Diego. Welcome to my show. Thank you so much for subscribing. I am so excited. I have an amazing individual who's an author, who's an investor, who transitioned from single family to multifamily and still doing investing part-time, but it's a win-win-win all the way around from Brentwood, California. Welcome to the show, Derek Clifford. How are you? Joe, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time, especially so that you're so busy and so successful. Oh my goodness, we got a lot to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Let's get into it. All right, let's do this. Let's do this. So you mentioned you still have a day job, which I appreciate, and you're investing, and hence you came up with the book, uh, Part-Time Real Estate Investing for Full-Time Professionals. Tell us about this transition from before real estate to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll give you a little bit of background as to where I came from and why I started investing in real estate. Um, you know, we, my wife and I kind of fell into it by accident, actually. That's usually how a lot of great inventions happen, like penicillin and, you know, I'm sure a lot of other things that, I've, that I'm missing. But what happened was my, my fiance, wife now, but fiance at the time, um, she had a condo that she had bought about a month before the crash in 2008. And when we were looking to move away from the condo, um, because she found a residency and I found a job elsewhere, we were still underwater on that property about seven years later. And so we, we knew that we couldn't just write a, a huge check to just get the property sold because it was just so far underwater and there just wasn't a value to cover the mortgage that we had on it. So our only option was to look into becoming landlords. And when we became landlords, we found that it really wasn't that bad as long as you set up your systems and you set up your processes. And so, you know, we fervishly went on to Google and we, we tried to become this, this uh, last minute landlord part-time landlord, right, from far away. Um, And luckily for us, it ended up working out really well. And so as we started collecting that mailbox money, as Brandon Turner on Bigger Pockets likes to call it, um, it kind of got us thinking like, well, you know, boy, you know, we're collecting this income for really not too much effort. Um, And, you know, it's a win-win situation. We're providing housing for someone who needs it. uh, And we're covering the mortgage and we're covering all of our expenses and taxes and insurance and everything. Um, why don't we actually do this? Like, let's try to do this intentionally. (laughs) And um, as I got more and more into the, into the space, I started to understand this is a perfect way to start building up passive income. And so I got super excited about it, read everything I could find, and then started to understand that it was a lot like Lego blocks, right? Each property that you buy or each unit that you buy, you stack up as Lego blocks as the foundation of your financial fortress, right? And so essentially it enables you to start doing anything that you want to do with your time because the money is coming in, equity is building without you having to physically be there or be actively involved every minute of the day, just like what you have to do when you're working a full-time job. So the goal for me right now is to transition as much as I can from my active income into passive income. So that's kind of how I got started. And that's, that's, the, that's the motivation for writing the book because I'm so passionate about it um, that I wrote a book on it and I wanted to share it with people that were in the exact same situation that I was in, which was stuck in a full-time job. I, would, I shouldn't say stuck. I should say 
you're in a full-time job situation, but you're looking for more options and ways to not be so dependent on that, that situation itself. So Beautiful. that's why I wrote the book. Beautiful. How long have you been investing now? Yeah. So you would think that I'd be investing for decades now, but um, I'm 35 years old and I started investing right after I turned 30. So it's been about four or five years now. Um, and so that's where I'm at right now. Perfect. Now you are investing in single family and then how long did it take you to transition into multi? Yeah, good question there. So, you know, when I did my initial research into how to invest in real estate, um, I knew for me that multifamily was the place to be. But I also understood too that like with the multifamily properties, there's extra zeros and with extra zeros on the price tag comes extra consequences, right? And so I figured I should probably play in the sandbox before I start playing with the big kids, you know? <laughs> so uh, what I did was I, I started building up my single family portfolio to understand the lingo and to understand the teams and how real estate investing worked. Because I'll be honest with you, five years ago, I had no idea how all of this worked, right? All I knew, which was uh, which I'd, I had been experienced up to the time, was how to buy a house for your own personal residence, which was you have an agent kind of walk you through everything and, you know, uh, you do what they tell you to do and you trust their judgment and there's a little bit of back and forth, but that's what it is. But um, with investing, everything is a little bit more intentional. And so uh, I knew that multifamily was my goal. So what I did was I bought as much single families as I could up until uh, Fannie Mae maxed me out at 10 mortgages. So I couldn't do more than 10. So I got 10 properties under my belt and started operating them like a multifamily, like a portfolio. And while I was working that out and actually getting ready to make the leap into multifamily space into like a 16 or a 32 or a 60 unit, um, that gave me time to build my equity and my experience and my team maintaining my 10 doors and then jumping up. So it was all part of this bigger plan that I had kind of put together once I started intentionally going after real estate as, a, as an investment. Perfect, perfect. Now the single family, as you were acquiring them, were you independent or you started JVing, doing syndications? What was kind of your strategy? <laughs> so when I first started out and actually even to this day, for the most point, um, it was all me. I had no other partners. It was just me and my wife trying to figure out how to make the single families work. And honestly, I had no other way. I didn't know any other, any other way. And looking back, I'm pretty sure that I'm the type of person that if I had tried to do that with other people in starting out, it may not, I, I may not have felt comfortable because now I'm starting to play with other people's money uh, right up front at the beginning. And I'm trying to even test whether or not this is a viable business idea. And so I didn't quite trust myself enough to let other people into the world so that that, because I might lose their money for them. So I was willing to learn with my, and cut my own teeth with my own dollars first uh, before I started looping people in. So long winded answer to your question, but yes, I started first with my own with my own uh, money and my own uh, ownership. Got it. And then fast forward today, you're doing syndication, JB. Is that what you're doing? Correct. So my first uh, 18 unit multiplex uh, is a JV uh, with a couple other investors. So there's, uh, it's just me and three other guys who have this 18 unit multiplex in Indy. Um, and now I'm looking to do a syndication on a 60 unit right now. So beautiful, beautiful. I like it. That's a great transition. Yeah. And a lot of respect because it's one of those things where 
like when you start going for syndications and JV, there's a lot of trust, you know, where you burn one person. I mean, one person will spoil the whole batch of potential investors that you're going to be dealing with in the future. So good respect for you. I'm glad you shared that with the audience because some people, they, they go right into multifamily and syndication without not knowing or knowing some of the basics and the potential liabilities and risks there are when you go into syndication and JV. So good for you. Absolutely. I will also add to that, Joe, everything you said is 100% on. Um, I would say that in this current economic environment right now, I don't know when uh, you know, your audience is listening to this, but it's September of 2020. And inventory is very tight, but we're also in a very risky financial global situation at this point with COVID and with, you know, all of the, the financial stimulus circulating around. And so there is a lot of people, a lot of sophisticated investors who are multifamily investors who are sophisticated enough to know that there's people that don't know what they're doing. And then they'll sell a top dollar to the people that don't know what they're doing that will overpay. And then they'll turn around and they'll reinvest and buy properties that do make sense. And they'll end up doubling their portfolio size in this economic environment. So please, you know, for your listeners, do not be that individual uh, who gets taken advantage of by a sophisticated investor, uh, someone who's been doing it lots of time and overpay for a property. So please understand the basics yourself before you start uh, bringing in other people into it. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. So with that said, Derek, you know, you do a lot of investing, I believe, out of state, correct? Yes, sir. What are some of the key performance indicators or what are your buy criteria when looking at these assets out of state? Yes, good question. So single family and multifamily is a little bit different because of the way the properties are valued and also because of, you know, the equity structures and, and ownership, right? But for single families, I do like to look for at least positive cash flow. That's really important for me. And if it's not cash flowing at least 100 to $150 per door. Um, so if you're buying, you know, uh, single families to four, you know, four plexes, I like to see that that there. And so, you know, $150, that's after your expenses, including, you know, a vacancy and a CapEx factor. Um, and also with your financing built in, that's very important. So as long as it's cash flowing that much money, then there's really no limit to how much you can scale. So that's my primary criteria. The other thing I look for is cap rate. Um, it's not as important, but I do look for somewhere, you know, in the seven to nine realm right now, which means that I'm mostly targeting Midwest properties or in areas where uh, properties are cheaper for, the, for the, the rents that you get. So those are my two main criteria for single families. For multifamily, it's more focused on the investor and the property itself. So what I'm looking for is what most people are looking for, uh, which is B, C-class neighborhoods and properties. Um, and the property itself and the investment has to have a value add component to it. Uh, not a huge value add, but you've got to be able to do something with the property to make it more attractive so that you can resale it later. Um, and that's where all of the forced appreciation comes in. And that's with all the, what all, all the good stuff that you get when you look for apartment buildings. So bottom line, I'm looking for 8% at least cash on cash return um, average for the entire investment, but also especially in the first year. That's the main thing. And then um, IRR or internal rates of return at least uh, above 15%. So usually 17 to 20% is what I'm finding right now. Um, and believe it or not, those are very hard things to find, but that's, that's where we're at. Perfect. Yeah. Do you care about debt service coverage ratio 
or gross rent multiplier? Yeah, so debt service coverage ratio is something I always look for because if it's too low, you're not going to get a loan and that's not going to, it's not going to happen. So um, I like to shoot for, most banks like to see 1.25 on the DSCR, um, but I'm, I'm usually looking for somewhere around the 1.4, 1.5 at acquisition as is. Um, so that already is really hard and they like to, I like to kind of bump that up um, to around, I'd say 1.8 to 2 um, if I can in the first couple of years. Perfect. Perfect. Um, and then one other, one other thing too that I do, Joe, with my syndications, um, I got this from one of my fellow pod mates who's also been doing syndications for a while. And, and I meet with them once every two weeks and him and some other guys, we kind of mastermind each week. His structure is very unique. Um, he does it so that when the investors participate in a syndication, um, all of the investors are prioritized with cash flow. So basically the managers or the people who are running the syndication collect zero cash flow until all of the investors are at least paid back the capital that they put into the property. So usually what that means is we'll put in some bridge debt, like in the first couple of years, um, get the property stabilized, and then we're going to refinance it and then pay all of the investors back at least the money that they put in. So that from that point forward, everything is just profit to them. And they're holding on to the equity. So that way we try to get in, get the, the investors back all of their capital so they can go invest in gold or other properties or whatever else they want to do with this crazy economic situation. Right. Um, and then, you know, everything that they get from there on out is just icing on the cake. So do you promise a preferred return of like 8%, 6%? Yes. You could, you could break it out that way. Um, I just like to say, look, everything, every dollar that comes in is going to be, is going to come in. Um, and usually it's between eight to 10%, um, which is the cash and it matches the cash and cash return because it's all going to the investor. So um, whatever that is and whatever the underwriting pencils out to, I'll peg that, per, that pref or that preferred return um, at that, at that uh, cash and cash return at the underwriting phase. And so whatever you see in the marketing criteria, that's what it is. And obviously, you know how PREF works. Uh, if, if, it, um, if we don't meet that PREF, then it kind of, it carries over to the next quarter for payouts. So. Beautiful. Do you build in an acquisition fee on your purchases? I do, yes. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm sure you've had guests on there that, that you know, have done that. Everyone does it, but um, the reason for that is that we we put in a lot of time and energy in the inspections. We have to pay for the environmental, um, the physical inspections, uh, the earnest money goes in too. That comes all from us as well, um, as well as the utility deposits. Like get, getting all that arranged and getting all that situated um, makes it viable for us to continue to look for properties and underwrite. Um, and so it just makes sense to do that. And when it's such a small portion of the overall big picture, we feel it's something that's appropriate to keep us motivated and keep everyone happy. Perfect. Perfect. And how about self-managing or do you outsource to somebody in the particular state? Yes. So thanks for asking. This is such a great question. It's really important that we have boots on the ground wherever we're investing because my invest, I'm here in California. And so, you know, I'm, I'm putting all the, the details together of the property, how it's going to work, what the financing is going to be, um, what vendors we're going to use. But I have boots on the ground contacts who are owner investors as well on the management side with me. And they will be managing the manager because they literally drive past the property every day. Um, so, that's what's important. So we will have third-party management there, um, but we have some, we've established some great partnerships among me and my boots on the ground contact with that particular property, property manager. 
So it's like we've been doing business with them already for like four or five years. Um, so we really trust uh, who we have out there. And then we've also got the personal aspect of owners being there on the property, being able to drive by and look at things and manage the manager as an extra layer. Perfect. Perfect. Now yeah. on the make ready, what do you build in on your cost for the rehab to make ready? Yeah. You know, that, that really depends on what, um, on what the property needs, right? Um, in this particular property that we're looking at the 60 unit uh, right now in September and October of 2020, um, we're looking at most likely curb appeal. Um, it's just a really good bones building. It's been really well maintained. And so we look to see how we can stretch the dollars to make them go the furthest. So usually that means working on the exterior, right? Uh, fixing the lighting or paint, um, some common areas or landscaping. <clears throat> that's kind of the low hanging fruit. And so that's really where we like to put our dollars first. And then secondly, we like to work on marketing and the team um, because marketing, that's where you get all your leads in for rents. Um, you don't know, cause you could, you could be leaving money on the table, at least five to $10 on the table. Um, if you don't understand what your market is and who you can reach and, and increase that, right? So we really believe in our products and we really want to have great partnerships uh, with our residents. And so we're, that's, that's what we're looking for. So we're just trying to stretch the dollar to make it more efficient as possible so that everyone's happy. Perfect, thank you. You actually have that 62 unit in escrow right now or is it something you're just kind of eyeballing? Yeah, so we're getting it under contract today, actually. Oh, good, congrats. So, yeah, thank you. Uh, lots of lots of work and back and forth, and we actually uh, um, we kind of negotiated a price reduction as well. They wanted something too high, and we and we got through it and said eh, it might work, um, but then we kind of backed out um, to to kind of show them that we really meant we really meant what we said, uh, and then they finally came back to us and and uh, started to uh, make it more attractive for us. Well, what do you like most about the project? Yeah, so for this particular one. Um, I just like the fact that there's, uh, it's in an area where it's right next to a university. So um, a university is within a quarter mile of the, of the property, uh, but it's also next to um, a main interstate highway and a shopping center. So I did, we just really like the area here. Um, we, we think there's a lot of potential in this, in this spot. And what I also like is the fact that interest rates are so low. So there's no other investment vehicle out there where you can borrow dollars for such a cheap amount of, uh, you know, for such a cheap interest rate um, and then grow the money later. Right. Um, and so we just like everything about this property because it's really well maintained, well run, um, or at least it's expensively run right now. So all we got to do is go in there and just make some changes with the team, things that we do that we do normally whenever we take over properties um, and so it just fits really well into our strength set. So that's awesome. what we like about it. Thank you, Derek. Let's talk about your book. Your time yeah. management must be incredible. Do you touch up a little bit about that in your book? I do. Yes, yes. Thank you for asking. So if you're working a, a full-time job like me and you need to invest in real estate part-time, um, there's a lot of things you can do to ensure your path to success, but there's a reason why I have it written in a certain way. Um, I have it written to help motivate you to understand that the juice is worth the squeeze because a lot of people in our culture right now that start investing in real estate say, oh, I'm going to start investing in real estate. And then they expect to have results, you know, a month later or a week later. Right. And that's just simply not that that's just not feasible. Right. Like, in order for you to be a successful real estate investor, it takes tenacity and you have to understand why you're doing it. And 
you need to, if you're married or if you have a partner, you need to have them looped in too because it affects everything, right? So I kind of start with that back end and say, okay, here's what you're going to expect. Here's why you should do it. Here's things that might come as a challenge that you need to be able to be ready to, to, to handle. Um, and then I get into the blueprint of how you do it, like how you start building one step at a time. And as you mentioned, time blocking is one of those things that happens after you've finished with your motivation and you understand what you need to do and how to do it and why to do it and getting your partner on board and all those things. You can time block. You can use electronic tools to help you get organized. So definitely setting up a separate email address for just doing real estate investing is, is this, this, like it's something you don't think about, but it's just a really like easy barrier that will help you get more serious because if everything gets kind of lumped into your personal email address or into one place, um, that makes it hard to dis discern between your social media and everything else. So if you have a dedicated time block, a dedicated electronic space, and a dedicated physical space, even in your own house, to work on this, and you've got permission from your family and from your you know, from your wife or your kids or everyone that on the weekends you have this space and this time to yourself to work on things that really helps it helps it work. And one thing I will say about working, if you drive to the office, I know that COVID has kind of, you know, changed that a lot recently, but if we end up going back into the office, what I personally would do is I would go in about an hour early and beat all that terrible California traffic, get in an hour early. And then that would be my time from seven to 8 AM in the morning. That would be my focus time. And that worked well for me because that's also when I was really sharp. You know, my brain was really working well. So understanding my why to get myself up at 5 AM to take care of all the stuff that I need to do and get out the door by 6:30 and get into the office at seven. And then eventually that becomes routine and you can do some other things too. Like you can, post little reminders on your bathroom mirror that says I'm a real estate investor, or you can post date a check to yourself for a million dollars that says, you know, in 2024 or something, I'm, I'm be able to cash this check or, you know, th those types of things you can do to kind of uh, get yourself on autopilot um, to help motivate you and fuel that consistency that will eventually lead to success in uh, investing in real estate. Wow. Those are some great nuggets, Derek. Thank you so much. Sure. What would people be doing in that one hour in the morning? What would they be doing? Yeah, great, great question. So it just depends on where you're at, right? Like when I first got started, it was listening to material. It was listening to podcasts. It was taking notes. It was reading books, right? And I would literally bring those into the office. And so if you have a routine, if you have that hour, right, to yourself where you've got that space, then you know what's best for you. And so there's plenty of books out there on time management and, you know, systems control on how to do what, but as long as you create that space for yourself, both physically and time wise, then you can create a plan for yourself. And that's kind of what I, what I allude to in my book as well as I, I came up with a, because I'm a project manager for my day job, um, I actually had like a Gantt chart that shows, okay, you know, in the first month I'm going to do, I'm going to read. And then after that, I'm going to start reaching out to brokers. And, and I actually have that broken out in the, in the book as to what kinds of things to expect from knowing nothing to getting your first equity or getting your first door out of state, how that all works and what are the activities in between. Wow, that is so cool that you used your regular day job to apply to the real estate and you got that edge for being a project ma manager because you're very methodical, I'm sure. 
Absolutely. You got to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's yep. great. You mentioned brokers. Is that your primary deal source or do you do letters or look on LoopNet? How are you deal sourcing? Yeah, great question. Fantastic question. Um, so when I was first starting out, it was wholesalers and uh, just working with, um, you know, with brokers directly. Uh, sometimes there were some agents here and there when I wanted to get some, you know, higher value properties that were a little bit more stable, um, that didn't need too much work and they weren't kind of distressed. Uh, but for the beginning, mostly in the beginning, I was doing distressed properties. So it was wholesalers um, and offline lists and stuff like that that you can sign up for. Um, and then phone, you know, just dialing, dialing people. Um, when it comes to buying multifamily now, I did a little stint and I tried to go direct to sellers, but it's v because of the legal things like there's LLCs and then sometimes the owner of the LLC isn't the owner of the building. And it just depends on like what's listed on the, on the, um, on the public websites for the, for the LLC owners and stuff like that. So it was very hard to go direct to owners. So now what I'm doing is I'm talking directly with other investors um, who either own buildings um, or they know people that own the buildings or I work with brokers, but I would say most of the time it's probably 90% brokers and just building relationships with them, um, showing them what we, what we do, um, making sure that they know what our buying criteria is and following up and doing what you said you're going to do. That's what brokers look for because a dime a dozen, so many people just like me, right? Call them and say, Hey, what have you got for me? And then never call them back or never give them any feedback once they do actually give, you know, trust you and get, and give you a chance to look at something. So it's really important to me to build the relationships with those brokers. And that's how I find most of the properties now. Wow. That's great tip again, Derek. I love it. I love it. Now, is there any particular systems or CRMs that you have to help you run your business efficiently? Yes. Thank you for asking. Another good question, Joe. Um, I use ActiveCampaign. Um, it's an amazing tool. Uh, it helps me with automation. And I would say that right now it's, it's like, it's, it's very powerful and I'm not even scratching the surface of what I can do with it. But so far I'm really loving my experience with that. And that's what I've been using. Otherwise, like I have, you know, personal contacts I've built out over the years from working with people, um, you know, in the, in the office. And so a simple list will do as well, you know, just a simple chain. Okay. All right. Great. And how often do you stay in contact with brokers? Do you, are you keeping them on your mail list or email list? Yeah. You know, um, as far as brokers go, like, uh, I, I try to call back once every two weeks, um, just to say, Hey, how are you doing? Um, I actually take notes too, when I'm talking with them to try to stay as organized as I can so that when I talk with them, I can say, Hey, how's your daughter doing? Or, you know, has your, did your son finish the graduation ceremony? You know, I can do those types of things. Right. And that adds a personal edge to it. It takes a little bit of effort to do. Um, but if you systematize that and you break it out to say, okay, I'm going to do broker contacts for 20 to 30 minutes per day in my hour, if that's what, you, what is important to you, then that's what you do. So I generally try to target, you know, one repeat contacts um, every, every two to three weeks with the brokers, if there's nothing going on, right? If I'm working with one on a deal, then obviously I'm talking with them a lot more frequently. Wow, Derek, you shared so much. We really, really appreciate it best way to reach you anything you're promoting please feel free to share yeah sure thanks joe for giving me the space um so the best way to to find out about what's happening in my world is to go to my website it's at elevateequity.org um i also have a public facebook group that you can sign up for it's just a few questions there um 
and then also get the book. Um, I have the book right here. Uh, so please just go ahead and go find it on Amazon. Uh, and then an audiobook is coming out as well. I, I recorded it myself and, and read it out. So, uh, but yeah, those are the best ways to reach me. And um, I'm here to help. If anyone has any questions on both the single family or the multifamily side, or just on the mindset side, or, you know, how to work with your spouse or, you know, why even do this? Or like, what does it look like? Uh, that's what I'm here for. So just go up to my website. Um, there's a link there where you can sign up for a 15 minute consult with me. Um, and you can, you can just uh, talk to me there and we'll figure out a way to get you started and, and off into the races. Sweet. What was the Facebook group name? Uh, I think it's just called Elevate Equity Tribe, I think. So it's pretty easy. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Derek. Really, really appreciate your time and contribution. Guys, subscribe, like, comment below. Really, really appreciate it, Derek. Thank you so much. It's been great to be here. Thank you. Our company is not responsible for the success or failure of your business decisions relating to any information presented by our company or our company programs, products, and or services. 